So over the last month since I've been back, we've been in a series called Putting on the Habit, right? And we've been looking at these historical figures from the history of the Christian church, learning about these people we perhaps have never even heard before, from before, and we're coming to discover what it means to have a truly dynamic, life-giving relationship with God. Not one that's rote or perfunctory and then where we feel like we're going through the motions, but one that is truly alive, that feels genuine, that, that feels real, right? And so over these last few weeks, we've walked through three basic concepts from these people. Number one was the first week we talked about, as we learned from, about a young guy, a teenage guy by the name of Benedict who lived in Italy in the 5th century, how it all starts with desire. If we don't have this passion, this desire to come to know God, then it's not going to happen. God doesn't force himself upon us, but to the extent that we truly desire to enter into life with him and to develop a close, real, intimate relationship with him, God meets us there. And our relationship starts to grow and to flourish. And Benedict helped us to see from centuries past, back to the days of the early church, when Jesus was, was walking among us, how living, a, living in such a way that we're weaving God in the fabric of our day and not just segregating him to a pocket of our day is key to having this relationship that is growing and dynamic. Last week, we talked about the importance of listening well, right? And we learned about this guy who lived 500 years ago named Ignatius, who was just bulldog determined that he was going to hear God in any and every aspect of his life. And we learned uh, last week these tools, these exercises that we can practice to listen and to truly hear the voice of God in any and every time of our lives if we truly want to. And then lastly, we learned from Francis of Assisi the importance of radical obedience. That when we listen and we hear God speak and we have absolute assurance in our hearts of what God's asking of us, that we say yes. That we don't say, wow, God, that seems like a stretch. Let's pray about that some more. But we say, yes, yes, God, I will follow you. Now, as we wrap up this series this morning with this message, before we go out to serve, I have a question that I want us to wrestle with a little bit this morning. So we've been talking about what it means to have a a deeper relationship with God, one that's life-giving, one that will impact not only us, but all of those who perhaps are even around us. So let me ask you this. How do you know when your relationship with God is deepening? Is there some way that you can know My relationship with God, it's growing right now in this season of my life. It's not stagnant. It's not kind of stale, but it's actually growing. How would you know? How would you know that your relationship with God is growing and alive and and real? Well, you might say, well, Dave, I just can feel it. I mean, I kind of feel when I'm getting close to God. I just kind of know in those moments when God's close to me in my life because I just feel his presence on me. And, and I get that. That's a very good point. I mean, there are times in my life where I feel the presence of God, and it's unquestionable. And, and maybe you have felt that at some point in your life with God, too. But does that mean, then, that if I don't feel God, that he's not active, that he's not close to me? Does that mean that my relationship with God isn't growing, that something is wrong in my relationship with God? When we go through dark seasons of our lives, when the pressures are weighing on us, when, when disappointments come, when we're anxious or depressed or just tired, and it sometimes can be hard to feel the presence of God. It's in those times that sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this, our relationship with God can just take off through those times. And then there's the question about those 
who we have, maybe there's been a person in your life whom you thought, gosh, you know, I wish I could have a walk with God like that person, right? Maybe you've had some, maybe there was a person at some time in your life where you were just like, they must be like super Christian. They seem to have, be doing all the right things. They're always serving all the time. They seem to be in all the Bible studies. I mean, I wish I had a relationship with God like that. And maybe one of those people in your life that you once a tri- thought, oh, wow, I wish I could be like them kind of a thing. Everything just blew up in their lives. And maybe they had some sort of a moral failure, and you're like, what was that? Right? I, I, thought, I thought they had a relationship that, where they were really close to God, and this doesn't even make sense. How could this have happened in their lives? Just a few days ago, I met with uh, someone who was a youth pastor in the Phoenix area for dinner. He wanted to meet with me to just talk, to get some counsel, because he had just been removed from his church that Sunday. Why? He had a great youth ministry. He was impacting tons of kids for Christ, had been consistently for a number of months. He was removed because he was having an affair with another pastor on staff. And they were both removed. And I was just kind of shocked. I'm like, thinking to myself, how does this happen? So I asked him the question. I said, What's your relationship with Christ been like lately? And he kind of laughed and he said, Well, if you had asked me a week ago, I, said, I would say it was great because God seemed to be doing all these things through the stuff that I was doing. But he said, If I were being really honest with you today, it really wasn't there. I mean, yeah, I, I, I pray every now and then, but I, I just kind of got so busy, so wrapped up in ministry and doing, other thing, doing things for God that... My relationship with God just kind of got put on a shelf, and it kind of stayed there for a number of months, and I was doing things on my own. You know, with pretty much anything that we do in this life that we commit ourselves to, sooner or later we can see results from it, right? It, results that everyone else can see. You sit with, uh, with a diet long enough and consistently enough, and, you know, you'll start losing weight. You... Uh, Go to the gym or to physical therapy consistently long enough, you'll become more fit, more strong. You study your history, your math, you'll hopefully make better test grades sooner or later, right? You uh, use that anti-aging cream and your wrinkles will just melt away. And you'll look 20 years younger, right? If you're consistent with it. Well, that's what the television says is true. So is there something that we can look to when it comes to our relationship with God like that? Where you can say, wow, that person really does have a relationship with God. Or that you can say for yourself, my relationship with God I know is growing. Is there a gauge, an indicator we can use to kind of know if our relationship is taking those steps closer and closer in relationship to Jesus? Well, you might say, Dave, I I don't know that something like that exists. But Jesus actually tells us that there is a gauge like that. He gives us one very clearly Uh, uh, in the Gospels. And I want to encourage you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to focus on two verses this morning which are really powerful and I think are a great way to sum up this whole idea of deepening a relationship with God through putting on a habit. It's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I want to encourage you to find this in your Bibles. Mark it. Circle it in there. Make sure that this is something that you hang on to for months and years to come. John 13, verses 34 through 35. This is what Jesus says. 
He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus teaches here that the clearest way to gauge a person's deepening relationship with God is the extent to which they go to love other people. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. I'll say that again. Jesus is telling us here, and this is our big idea for the day, the clearest way to gauge a person's growing relationship with God, to know that it's deepening, growing, the clearest way for you to know that is the extent to which you go to sacrificially show love to other people. Love is a deep-seated emotion that God has given us as humans the capacity to receive and to give. And seldom are we motivated to show it or give it unless one of two things happens. Unless, number one, someone shows us love regularly, consistently, and we have this compelling need in ourselves to reciprocate, right? To show love in return. Or our relationship with Jesus is deepening and growing to such an extent that we are experiencing his love and we can't help but show that love sacrificially to other people. In today's world, love is poorly explained as just an emotion. It's just feelings based on circumstances. When love is just a feeling, we're only motivated to express it when we feel it, when it's easy to reciprocate. But Jesus teaches us, however, that love isn't an emotion. Love is a decision. It's something that we choose to give on a regular basis. Now, when Jesus shared this with his disciples, it was in the upper room the night before he was betrayed. Just minutes before Jesus shares this with his disciples, do you know what was happening? As the disciples were walking into that room, Jesus had a water basin and a towel, and he was washing their nasty feet as they came in. One of those disciples who walked in, whose feet Jesus washed, was a guy by the name of Judas, who Jesus knew just hours later would betray him. Would send, and as a result of that betrayal, would lead to Jesus' flogging and crucifixion the next day. Yet Jesus stooped down, and he washed Judas' feet. Do you think you could have done that that day? Could you have looked into Judas' eyes and known what he was going to do to you and wash his feet? Jesus sets the example for us when he says, Love one another as I have loved you. I don't know if you noticed this, but in that verse I read to you, it says, this is a new commandment I'm giving you. Did you notice that? You might say, what do you mean new? Is that, why, why is that a new commandment, right? I mean, didn't God tell uh, his people back in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Didn't he say to them in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, that was there. Jesus confirmed that when, you know, weeks or months before when someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So why was this a new commandment? Well, notice the wording here. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, now I'm going to one-up that. This is a new commandment. Love them as I have loved you. Not just in the capacity you would say, well, I can, I can do on my own. The capacity I have to love myself, I can just give them that. No, Jesus says, no, I want you to love your neighbor to the extent that I have loved you. How in the world do you do that without a deep, vibrant, alive relationship with Jesus? You can't. It's impossible. You know, we can go through life and we can love people to the extent to which they're lovable. And that's nice. It's, it's actually easy to do. Anybody can do that. But what about those people that it isn't easy to love? What about loving people to the extent that Christ loves us? Can you do that on your own? I, I know I sure can't. It takes a relationship with God. You can't fake love. And so that's why we see today that one of the best gauges Jesus gives us to know if our relationship with Jesus is thriving, is growing, is to what extent do we go to love our enemy? To what extent do we go to love our neighbor next door that we perhaps don't even know? To what extent do we go to love those around us in our circles who are unlovable? Jesus said loving all of those around us, our neighbors, looks like this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words, you'll show the world a true living relationship with God to the extent that you do this. And then he continues in verse 46, he says, If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you, if, uh, you love those, what, what, I'm sorry, if you're kind to only your friends, how is that different from anybody else? He says, even pagans do that. So think about those in your life right now who it's really hard to love. Is it getting easier for you to love them here in, the, in recent weeks? Or is it getting harder for you to love them? That could be a gauge for you and what your relationship with Jesus looks like right now. You can't love people unless you have experienced that love yourself from Christ, that radical, unconditional love. We can't show that love to other people. We don't have the capacity as human beings to show that kind of love unless we are truly experiencing it ourselves and our hearts are filled with a deep sense of gratitude for what Christ is doing in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And one of the pastors I really like to look to uh, for inspiration is a guy by the name of John Piper. I think he's got a, a church in Minnesota. And this is something that he said a while back that really struck me. He said, the Christian life of love is a supernatural life. It's not produced by merely human forces. It takes resources that we do not have. He says, this is very crucial for us to admit. It is humbling. Left to ourselves, we cannot love. Not like this. But he says, but this is very encouraging because what it means is that if you're sitting there and feeling, I am not by nature a loving person, 
You're not at a disadvantage because, in fact, nobody is by nature a loving person. If we were, love would not be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It would be a fruit of our personality, upbringing, and chromosomes. In fact, you may be farther along than a person who feels that love is a natural thing. That they will have a harder time learning how to love because they may not look for the resources in the right place. Isn't that true? So the clearest way to gauge a person's deepening relationship with God is the extent to which they go to love those who are around them. To what extent do you go to love other people? To, to love your neighbor? To love the people, not just that you know, but the people that you don't know? The people three houses down on your street. The people perhaps who are an interruption to your day at work or at the gym or wherever it is you might find yourself. To what extent do you love those who are annoying, who are broken, who are messed up? To what extent do you go to love those who are lost and don't even know that they are? Do you want to change in your relationship with God? Do you want to grow in your spiritual life? Do you want to have a closer relationship with Jesus? It starts with the things that we've talked about in this series. Desire, listening, and radical obedience. And through that, we have this capacity to love which goes far beyond anything we can ever manufacture on our own. We won't really care about our neighbor or the poor or those who are struggling. We won't inconvenience ourselves regularly out of love unless we are experiencing radical love ourselves. Unless we are with Jesus in a way where that relationship isn't rote and perfunctory, but it's life-giving. I want nothing more for you guys than to experience that. So many people, they live this Christian life, especially here in America, and they're going through the motions, and if you ask them, do they have faith, they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you think, where's the fruit? Well, what's your relationship with Jesus look like? I mean, our faith tradition, the Evangelical Covenant Church, was founded by Swedish missionaries, and the, one of the things they were known for saying is they would greet each other, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't greet each other by saying, hey, how are you doing? They would say, hey, how goes your walk with Jesus? That was their way of communicating to each other, of greeting each other. I mean, how would that feel to you? It's like, wow, personal information, TMI, right? That was the way they greeted each other because they knew this. They knew that if their relationship with Jesus was just pretend, if it was just going through the motions, that nothing in their lives would work. Next week, we're going to start a series about all that it means to truly love our neighbors. Now, you think this series we've just gone through has been challenging. Wait for this. This is going to be really challenging. What the world looks for from the church, so often it doesn't find. And they walk away empty. What we're going to realize through this series is they're not looking for lights and great music and great preaching and all those things. What they're looking for more than anything else is people who truly walk the walk. People who truly love their neighbor and don't just say it. But here's the catch. We can't do that unless we do what we've talked about in this series. We cannot love our neighbor 
unless we have come to experience that radical love ourselves and are experiencing it on a daily basis and it fills us. Without a growing, abiding relationship with Christ ourselves, every expression we have of serving others will ring hollow. It will be in our minds as just one more busy, one more thing to do to fill our calendar, and it won't last. Over time, it'll feel forced. It won't feel genuine. Even today, as we go out to serve in, with G-City Weekend, if we're not motivated by love, it will feel like busy work, and it'll just be one more thing to do. So today, we don't serve out of obligation. We don't serve because Pastor Dave asked, please tell me you're not doing that. But out of hearts of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. We serve him from a place of love because we've experienced that love for ourselves and we want that for those around us. Throughout history, ordinary people have felt that spark, that desire to know God more deeply, to respond to, him, to God more wholeheartedly. People like Benedict, people like Francis of Assisi, like Ignatius of Loyola, found that for themselves. And they not only, it not only changed their lives, but the lives of all those who were around them. Same was true with people in the Scriptures like John and the Apostle Paul. Their walks with God compelled them to love their neighbors as Christ loved them. John actually wrote in 1 John chapter 3, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, and we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And He knows everything. The Apostle Paul's relationship with God led him to love others in radical ways. And this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5. He wrote, if it seems like we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God because Christ's love compels us. That same potential that was in the Apostle Paul, guess what? It rests in you. It is, you have the same capacity to love others like that. Don't ever sell yourself short or think, oh, I can't love others like that. If you have a living walk with Jesus, you can. Let's show others that we, in our community, our city, and our world that we have the capacity to love others the way Christ has loved us. God doesn't care about us being some big influential church with every program and every ministry imaginable. What he wants for us here at Grace more than anything else is that we love him well and that we love each other well, that we love our community well. All those other things that we can get so wrapped up in as churches, they're periphery to this. God calls us, ladies and gentlemen, to love each other well. And it is my prayer that over time that grace will be known in this city not as the church that has all the great ministry opportunities, not as the big church on the hill. I don't even care about how big we get. What I care about is that we get this, that we love God well and that we love each other and love our world well. By this they will know that you're followers of me, that you love well. I'll close with this. Um, a few years ago, 
there was a very influential pastor. You perhaps, some of you have heard of him. His name was Francis Chan. He resigned from his megachurch in Simi Valley, California. Everything was going wonderfully. Everything was going great. No one could understand it first. Why would he leave us? Why would he leave this church that he helped plant, that he has pastored for so long? And he couldn't even articulate fully why. He just felt like God was sharing with him, there's something missing here. You need to figure out what it is. For now, I need to set you aside and remove you. And so he stepped away from his church without another church to go to. He just kind of stepped out and was like, God, I hope I'm really hearing from you right now because this is crazy. And he steps out and he leaves. And over time, he comes to realize as he's praying and as he's journaling, the thing that he feels is missing, that he couldn't articulate, is the very thing we're talking about this morning. Take a look at this. Most people know that in America, Christianity has become this consumer thing. You know, you sit down, you find people that you know, and you go and sit there. You know, in rows, and it's dark, and when you worship, it's just you and God. I was used to going to church on Sunday, sit in the back, and not really be a part of the body, and you walk out, and then that's it. That's your Sunday. Uh, we've just kind of assumed if somebody's following bulletins and somebody's a greeter and somebody's stacking chairs that everybody's using their gift. Just even the concept of church that we have, I've always wanted more than that and felt like it should be more than that. We're struggling in different ways. Marriage, um, feeling a little bit isolated. It wasn't flourishing, I, I would say. We weren't flourishing. If they're not finding that in the church, we have to go back to the scriptures and go, why not? What are we doing wrong? So many people are going in and out of churches and nobody in their church knows what's happening. One of our elders calls it like pastoral malpractice. Like you're actually ruining people by making them consumers because you're supposed to be turning them into servants. We don't come to be served. We serve and give our lives as a ransom for many. It's at the core of what we understand it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we've twisted it, and it's evil. Really, all these things that caused me to just start with a blank piece of paper and just start writing on that paper with scripture and saying, what's most repeated? Uh, what's most emphasized? What does God love most? What does he hate most? What does he command demand of the church and let's pursue those things it's not about having a killer sermon with a great worship set it's about us loving each other well loving jesus well praying together well uh, studying the scriptures together well and then it's almost like our gatherings are excellent not because there was a ton of prep work done into it but because people are spending time with jesus people are being led by the spirit People are loving each other deeply. That's what's going to make our gatherings great. Most people know that in America... Would you pray with me? Lord, I trust that in this room right now, many people's hearts are being stirred by what you're saying to us from the scriptures. Lord, I trust that you are reminding us this morning that um, it's not about doing all the Christian stuff that everyone expects us to do, the things that we tend to gravitate toward, even serving. 
sometimes, Lord, can, can be a distraction from what you've truly called us to do, which is to love. Lord, I pray that you will put this burning desire in the hearts of every person in this room that you've put in me. Lord, I pray that we will feel it and we'll know it, that nothing else matters if we don't do this well. Lord, I pray that we will chase after you in the weeks and months to come, that we will take this series, that we will just take it all in, God, and that we will come to truly dive in to our relationship with you in a way we never have before, that we won't pursue disciplines so much as we will pursue you and falling in love with you and doing any and everything we can in our power to come to know you more. And Lord, through that, that our own limited capacity to love will be limitless, will know no bounds. And that through that, we will know that you are truly alive and working in our lives. When we can love that person that we have come to hate or that person that we have come to run away from, avoid at all costs, we know that you're at work. God, break our hearts for the people around us that, that need to be broken as we see them. Lord, I ask for those in this room today who are struggling in their relationship with you. Maybe, maybe there's some here today who have never said yes to you, who've never given their hearts and lives to you, Lord. I, I pray for them today, and Lord, I ask that they would come to a place of surrender. They would come to a place of saying, God, I don't know if you're real fully. I, I'm not sure, but God, I, I know that this love thing, it, it makes sense to me. And I want that. I want that in my life, and I want to be able to express that in, to those who are around me. If that's you this morning, I want to just encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to work in your heart and your life. Say this prayer with me in the silence of your heart if that's for you. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I confess that I need you in my life. God, I, I sometimes struggle with faith. I sometimes struggle with, is this whole Christianity thing legit? Is it for real or is it just something that someone has made up? But Lord, as I hear this today and I think about this love thing, there's just something about it. I just kind of know that that's what we're created for. God, I pray that you would come into my heart and help me to experience that from you firsthand. Lord, I surrender my heart and my life to you. I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sins, all those things that have blocked my relationship from you in the first place. God, I ask that you would forgive me as I confess that you are my Savior and my Lord who died on a cross as an act of love so that I could truly live and experience this for myself. God, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and begin to do that work in me Give me that fire, that passion, that desire to know you the way Pastor Dave describes. In Jesus' name, amen.